Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Happy to get started. Maybe just starting with a short reflection on um, what we're doing here. This is a forum of Refuge Recovery World Services. World Services is the nonprofit organization that supports the meetings and other activities of uh, the peer-led meetings also hosts retreats and and is uh, you know still in the process of evolving the infrastructure for our community and um, you know creating the different necessary structures to uh, ensure long-term uh, sustainability for our our recovery community. Um, and I'm Noah, I'm the founder, I'm the president of the board, and I take these time uh, once a month to um, connect with the community and answer any questions that are on people's minds. And uh, those of you who've been before know that often I don't have the answer, but <laughs> I listen to the questions and have the discussion with you. So that having been said, welcome everybody. Uh, this is not a refuge meeting. This is a Q&A uh, hosted by World Services. Um, and Vanessa is co-hosting and Vanessa is also on the board. And I don't see any other board members with us here tonight yet, but who knows, maybe some will join us. So happy to be here and, um, you know, reflecting on your experience as a member of Refuge Recovery and the um, joys and sorrows of recovery and participating in peer-led community and all of the different, um, you know, questions or issues or uh, difficulties that come up. And of course, all of them become our personal practice and part of our recovery, but also there are structural uh, things that we're needing to develop and are in the process of developing and not everything's in place yet um, in, in the evolution. And maybe it's one of those things where, I, I don't know, I kind of hope that we never get to a place of rigidity where everything's in place and it's unchangeable. My, my own feeling is, uh, change in permanence uh, is, is natural. And so we're, we're in that. And I know that that's uh, often incredibly unpleasant for people. <laughs> sometimes it feels great and there's a lot of freedom in it. And sometimes it feels like, wait, I want structure um, and I want it to be set and I want it to never change. Um, and that's probably uh, not that, that, you know, that can become too static and too, uh, fundamentalists. So my own hope 
is that it will evolve over the years and decades of our existence. That having been said, happy to open the floor. Welcome, and I see a hand from Kat. Thank you so much. So good to be here too. Um, I hope that my computer, my internet's been crappy. So if I um, get thrown out or whatever, um, let, just let me know if you can't hear me. So my first thing is, it's a tough one. So I just want to get it over with. <laughs> um, how do we um, tactfully with compassion, so compassionately navigate? So say that I'm um, secretarying a meeting and then we have a business meeting after and there's people at the business meeting and we have agendas, whatever, the business meeting starting. And then we notice that someone um, is intoxicated or looks like they are intoxicated. We're on Zoom, so sometimes it's really hard to see. But anyway, so my question is, this is something that I'm, I'm, it's probably happening. So I wanna know, how do we navigate through that without shaming the person, without not including them, because it did happen. And it's, it was something that I had a really hard time with because I know that there's people out there with um, certain, maybe not disabilities, but I, I just don't want to assume someone's fucked up. <laughs> you know, and just be like, hey, you're not welcome here, you can't vote. It's really hard to navigate through that. And I wanna know if the board or anyone has any um, comments on that, on how to navigate through that during a business meeting. I think that's all. Thanks, Kat. Um, couple of things. One is that it's like, it's even more challenging on Zoom to, really know whether your uh, intuition is correct. It's one thing when you're in person and you can smell the booze or the weed or whatever it is on the person and you know this person's like intoxicated because it's, you know, visceral. It's another thing when it's behind the screen and you're not totally, you know, there's, there's not, uh... so just, you know, that can be challenging. Um, but if you have a sense of that, um, all of the, so first of all, that group is autonomous and how that group handles that situation is up to the group conscience of that group. World services, the refuge recovery as a whole, um, is not have a policy on whether or not people who are intoxicated can come to meetings or speak in meetings or vote. Um, you know, we do have a policy, an essential element that you can't hold a service position if you're not in practicing abstinence. But um, as far as I remember, as far as I'm aware, somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that there is not a policy that says, you can't vote at a business meeting if you're drunk. <laughs> That's not a, it's not a essential element. Um, so it would be up to the group to say, hey, you know, this happened. How do we feel about it as a group? 
And then Kat, if you or someone else in the group wanted to make a motion to say, hey, let's let's make a motion and a policy in this meeting that says something like some meetings do this. Um, so something like if you're going to speak in this meeting, we ask that you not share unless you have 24 hours sober or if you're currently uh, intoxicated or inactive, uh, then we ask you not to share. You're welcome here. You're welcome to be here. But um, this group itself has a policy. So you could then also have that same group conscience of your meeting, take it to your business meeting and get a group conscience that says, also, in order to vote in this meeting, there's an essential element that, that says to follow the guidelines that everyone can vote that's been to the meeting more than twice. So everyone's welcome to vote. And in this meeting, uh, there's a caveat that says you can vote if you've been here more than twice and you are currently sober today. <laughs> um, but that if you are in, currently intoxicated, please refrain from engaging in the discussion and or voting. So I'm just throwing those out there as possibilities. But again, your group would have to make that decision because another group might say, we're not going to exclude someone even if they're uh, intoxicated. Um, so, and, and World Services doesn't have a policy about that. Your group needs to make a policy about that and take a group conscience about it. Okay, thank you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I I don't think that I handled it correctly, but I feel like going through it, I was like, you know, I, I really don't, in the guiding principles, it's like, or whatever, it's like, we are, the only criteria for membership is the desire to be free from addiction. So like, I don't think anyone should be not able to come or participate but then if they're not able to vote because they're not coherent, that's, that's where I'm like, what do I do? Or, you know, how do you navigate through that with a group? So I think I understand what we have to do now going forward. And I appreciate the help because I, I was really stuck on that. I didn't know what to do. I think Vanessa <laughs> might have a, a thought about this. Uh, no, you don't. Vanessa, didn't you, is, is anybody aware of a refuge meeting that has now made a policy that says, if you're currently intoxicated, you, we'd like to ask you to refrain from sharing? Nobody's aware of that yet. So this that is- Kat, raise your hand. Kat, Kat does. Oh, I don't see your hand. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Actually, physically raised my hand. We voted, and one group that I'm in, we voted that if you're intoxicated, please uh, wait till the end of the meeting and- we'll talk to you then or something like that. So it's I don't know. Pretty common in the 12 step world to that there's been group conscious. And again, it's not the policy in the 12 step world of Alcoholics Anonymous World Services. It's not their policy, but meetings have the autonomy to choose what they wanna do around that, whether or not they want to allow people who are currently intoxicated to participate, to vote, to um, any of that. And so my own sense is, that's a good model and that we should leave that autonomy up to the groups. Thank you. Yeah. Vanessa, go ahead. Um, Richard had sent in a question earlier and I know you have to leave a little early. Um, do you want me to read your question, Richard, or do you want to ask it yourself? 
No, please read it, Vanessa, and maybe I'll comment about it after I get a okay. response. All right, this mess or this uh, question comes from Richard A. in Santa Rosa. Um, the issue has come up on how to manage the safety concerns of all RR members at in-person meeting with regards to members who aren't vaccinated sitting in the meeting with those who are vaccinated or partially vaccinated. Some members express a desire to know everyone's vaccination status so as to have enough information to make informed decisions on whether to remain in the open meeting or not. Other members feel that asking non-vaccinated members to publicly identify themselves has led to discriminatory behaviors against them. This latter method has already led to the breakdown of a long-standing in-person RR meeting locally where members in the two camps won't attend the same meeting together. What advice would the board offer toward a resolution of this very important and large issue facing RR in-person meetings? Yeah, my first thought is that the encouragement from World Services has always been for uh, groups to adhere to the local um, CDC guidelines as far as gathering um, or not gathering. I know that that doesn't totally address this issue of vaccination. It is one of our guiding principles that um, as a group, we take no stand on political issues. Now, I'm sure it could be argued that, um, you know, community health standards in the midst of what is considered a pandemic is not a political issue. Uh, but certainly, it feels like it's become very pol pol polarized and politicized. And that, you know, sometimes this issue is actually, you know, some people it's a public health issue, and some people it's actually, it's very much a political issue. I don't feel like I have the answer, Richard, or, or anyone else, of exactly what to do here such a dilemma, such uncharted territory. Um, but I think it's quite, it could be quite dangerous and divisive for um, groups to be asking people to identify themselves uh, and their vaccination status. Um, as, as was said in the question, you know, the experience it could be alienating, it could be divisive, it could be um, politically charged in so many ways. There was, um, there was a meeting uh, who, was saying that nobody could come into the meeting if they weren't vaccinated, even if they were willing to wear a mask. It was vaccinated people only. And I did tell that meeting that that was against the guiding principle of all are welcome. 
uh, and that we that we weren't going to support uh, saying you can't come unless this, even if you're willing to wear a mask. Um, so I'm not going to give you a good answer other than just sort of empathize with it and. And I don't think that this is something that World Services at this time has enough clarity to make a policy around. And as we see, it keeps changing uh, in our culture around you know, mandatory vaccinations in healthcare, mandatory vaccinations uh, in California. Anyways, in Los Angeles, they're starting to do it in restaurants and bars and you know, so it's happening in, in more and more sectors of the society. Um, my sense is we have to sit back and, 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 and watch and, and listen and see what the CDC says. And um, I do think, although we're not an anonymous program, we do have principles around confidentiality and privacy. And it doesn't seem wise to force anyone to reveal their uh, medical history. And of course, and there's, I, I know that we're talking in this country at this point about there's like a medical emergency. So the old OSHA standards uh, are no longer being adhered to, but there was a time not so long ago where it's actually illegal for an employer or any kind of group to demand someone's medical history. And vaccination is a medical history. Um, and I know that that's being changed, you know, that there, it's a moving target and there's a kind of a, a, a loud voice in the, in the culture that says, nope, this is a pandemic and it's an emergency and nobody gets their right to privacy around their vaccination status. Um, but that's not, the law yet, you know, that's not sort of what's, we're not, we're not there yet. So I think we have to be quite cautious around uh, demanding these kind of things. Go ahead. Thank you, Noah. Thank you for your um, considerate and compassionate response. I just wanted to hear what you had to say. We don't have an answer, but I can relate to what uh, happened uh, in this group that I'm referring to coming up with a compromise. It goes back to what you were saying to Kat's question about leaving it up to groups to some degree to express their own autonomy and how they're gonna struggle with issues like this. So we did struggle with it as an individual meeting and we came up with a temporary compromise that uh, we would set aside a table uh, just inside the front door, the entry door, and that there would be a, a statement at the beginning of the meeting that at the table coming in the door, there will be a, um, uh, like a bowl and there will be some chips like poker chips, I guess the guy who was telling us who's doing this set aside. And if you have been fully vaccinated, put a chip in the bowl, but you can do it anonymously. You can do it privately. Nobody's going to be watching you do that. And then uh, at the meeting's commencement, uh, the secretary will gather the bowl and see if the number of chips in the bowl conforms to the number of people in the room, which means everybody's been vaccinated. Or conversely, if the number of chips in the bowl do not correspond to the number of people in the room, they'll make that statement as well. And then anyone in the room, all the members, if anyone feels unsafe under those conditions, they can leave, they can excuse themselves from the meeting. 
In the meantime, we're also wearing masks, we're keeping social distancing, we're doing all those precautions anyway. And that seemed to be a viable compromise for now. Seems like a creative solution. Doesn't seem to be breaking any major guiding principles. Um, seems like a creative solution. But you know, I think that we have to, you know, keep coming back to uh, all are welcome, and that it is our job as members to create a welcoming environment, no matter what somebody's political, social, economic, religious, you know, backgrounds are, and that um, we want to make sure that we stay welcoming to both the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> um, and that, you know, we, we still have such a strong Zoom community for people who are extra concerned about not being in a room with people who aren't vaccinated, um, rather than alienating uh, the people who aren't vaccinated, choose to not go, right? Like if you're gonna, uh, on, on some level, I don't, I don't know. Um, we, we have plenty of opportunities to be totally safe at a meeting on Zoom in your own home. Well, thank you again. Yeah. I have a queue of questions, Noah, whenever you want one. If nobody else has questions, Vanessa will. Kat, go for it. It's not really like a question, but um, just sort of like a um, suggestion um, that I think was brought to my attention uh, really quickly uh, to, I just wrote this down, like maybe we could reserve the first five minutes after the meeting for people who are new, who have questions. I already knew about this, but there was one time where I was just like really excited that the meeting ended and I was like really talkative. And then I feel like I left someone out, someone brought it to my attention. So I've been trying to really like reserve that first five minutes for folks who are just really struggling um, after the meeting. And so I just wanted to make people aware of that, like secretaries and people who are responsible for that kind of thing, um, just to make people aware that that could be a good thing. Um, I don't even know if it's in the guiding or the requirements after a meeting, but I think that it's good. Someone brought it to my attention and I just wanted to put it out there. It sounds uh, like a good idea. And just, just like everything, we gotta be quite careful for secretaries making decisions, even when they're good ideas. Um, and so, even something like that, that's a good idea, sounds like a good idea to me anyways, um, needs to have a group conscience. The whole group has to vote and agree that we're gonna make this announcement during the meeting, that this is how we're reserving time after the meeting. Um, and no one individual can decide that for the whole meeting. Um, so please, you know, if you're gonna do something like that, I, Sounds like a good idea, but have the discussion with your group and and vote on it and make it a you know a, a de democratic process that that's the way you're going to do it rather than it just being imposed by 
the secretary or, or some somebody who thinks it's a good idea. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Vanessa, go for it, jump in. Is it okay for a meeting to ask for people not to smoke or vape on camera? Um, and what about eating or other activities? Group conscience. I think it is okay if the meeting decides that that's something that a group conscience has decided. I don't think it's breaking any essential elements or guiding principles that I can think of. What about you, Vanessa? Do you think that it was breaking any guiding principles to tell people they can't smoke during the meeting? I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know. I, I mean, all are welcome. Yeah. Um, I just, I think about, um, I've heard people being offended um, with, by having like a baby in the, in the frame, or I, I, I actually know some people um, that are nudists. And so it's like, yeah. The smoking, vaping, eating thing, um, people have those process addictions, but, you know, slippery slopish stuff. But if we say all are welcome, how does that mean? Like all are welcome as long as you adhere to this criteria. I, I don't know. I, all we have is all are welcome. Yeah, I think all are welcome. But that if I, um, let me see, there's a comment here from Don. It's doing those activities with their camera on that could be triggering. Um, I think we want to be a bit cautious personally. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna land in my first answer, which is up to your group to have a group conscience about it. And if there is a group conscience, I hope that there's some deep discussion about the pros and cons of um, telling people what they can and can't do in this meeting uh, on Zoom, you know, wh who won't be welcome, you know? Um, you know, the kind of understanding that, you know, some people who are so busy and whatever, and like, you know, are just making an hour for a meeting and it's, they're also there, they haven't eaten all day and it's time to get some sustenance in their body. Um, while they're attending the meeting and to tell that person, um, you can't be here if you need to eat at this time um, is a kind of a pretty, pretty radical thing to do. Um, this thing about Don, maybe I'll just call from Don because I want to, I want to discuss this idea of triggering and this idea of trying to protect people from um, being uncomfortable or getting triggered. So Don, go ahead and unmute. You go ahead and, and ask the question. We can discuss it some. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not the activity. It's having the camera on. I would never suggest to somebody they can't eat while they're in a Zoom meeting. Uh, but if they're sitting there, you know, certain types of eating snack foods or something, you know, maybe somebody's really having a hard time with that kind of thing. And smoking, of course, is, is, a thing also. You want to say something about the triggering piece? 
I'm sorry. Do you want to say something about it triggering people? It's a possible trigger. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, uh, there's meetings that I attend where the group conscience agreed to ask people, uh, nicely ask them, uh, to please not do those activities with the camera on. So, you know, Hey, even when I'm in a work meeting on zoom, uh, I don't really dig it watching somebody scarfing down a salad you know, while we're in a work meeting, it's a little unprofessional. Um, and, you know, I think there, it's, it's not too much to ask for a mild level of decorum, you know, when we're doing something that's fairly serious, you know, here. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and again, back to the kind of group conscience, like it sounds like Don's part of a meeting that took a group conscience and put that into their script. We ask that you don't, you know, do A, B, and C on camera. Uh, you're welcome to be here, but we ask that you don't do that on camera. And then it might lead to another situation, um, you know, if somebody doesn't know that or, you know, doesn't hear it or disregards it and continues to eat their salad during the meeting or vape during the meeting or whatever it is with their camera on, um, how that is handled is important. Um, wanting to, uh, you know, maybe some, some sort of plan from the meeting group conscience to say, uh, first we send that person a message, then we ask to speak to them after the meeting, kind of, and making sure that there's a sort of kind communication around that rather than a kind of public shaming or instantly kicking someone out for uh, breaking the rules. We wanna have my own feeling my own desire is that we want to be really welcoming and inclusive. Um, and, you know, how do we, how do we cast the widest net to say, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. Um, rather than creating too high of a bar for people. And I think it's compassionate to be concerned about how our behaviors affect or trigger other people. Um, I like that mindfulness and that concern about um, that. And I think we have to be a bit cautious around trying to overly protect people and knowing that we live in this world where if you turn on the television, you're gonna see people drinking or using drugs or eating or um, all of those things. And that part of our recovery, whether it's process addictions or substance is learning to be free in the midst of the world we live in. Um, and of course, refuge is a place to, to practice and to support and to, um, you know, be as friendly and open with each other as possible. Um, but we don't want to get too precious or exclusive in our community. We don't want to create too high of a bar where, you know, the people just getting out of detox or the people just getting out of jail or the, you know, whoever, even people with long term that are just struggling with stuff feel like, oh man, those refuge folks aren't very friendly. Those Buddhists kicked me out because I was vaping, you know, <laughs> like whatever it is. We don't, we don't want to create that vibe either.
Dawn, is this uh, in, in relation to this? Yeah, go ahead. No, is never a, mind. Is this this or a different topic? It was this topic. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead, please. Well, uh, I mean, the argument could be made too that, I mean, this is refuge recovery, a refuge. The meetings are a refuge. Uh, you know, so on the one hand, you got the argument, we don't want to be exclusive. We don't want to be too precious about this. On the other hand, you got people new to recovery. And if we're not presenting something that seems like a refuge, okay, you got people that are still in, uh, in residential and they can't smoke and they see somebody smoking on camera, you know, not pleasant or anything. So I think the, the refuge element um, should be considered. Um, I hear that. I think that what you're saying is there's a lot of uh, merit to it. I also just want to remind all of us that the book, the literature is really clear about what we're creating is an internal refuge. That by doing these four truths and this eightfold path, we will have an internal refuge where we'll be at ease no matter what's going on. And that we're not in refuge recovery, tr even trying to create a ideal community where everyone is kind all of the time and nobody does anything that uh, actually in our literature, it talks about the opportunities of conflict and the opportunities of, you know, being in difficult situations and, you know, even being triggered like that's uh, unavoidable um, and that the refuge meetings are gonna be places where that happens and what a great place to practice it. Rather than thinking like, wait, no, this is supposed to be a place where nothing unpleasant happens ever. <laughs> like unreal, you know, just impossible. So I hope, I hope, I don't wanna be defensive about this. I wanna say like, yes, let's do what we can to create a really cool, welcoming, inclusive uh, unity that also is like, you know, hey, set aside your meal, turn your camera off. Like, you know, don't, don't, you don't need a vape on camera. You can turn that off while you're puffing your vape bong. That's you know, like, you can do that. Um, but also let's be super tolerant with each other. Let's not create a refuge that is intolerant. And that primarily this path is about internal refuge, not external. We take refuge in the community and the community is a bunch of crazy addicts. <laughs> not perfect enlightened Buddhists, a bunch of sick addicts like us who are trying to be good people and help each other. Vanessa, go for it. Um, or Richard, was your comment about this issue or a new issue? New issue. Okay, well, uh, thank, uh, Richard, go ahead, jump in. Thank you. Um, I wasn't gonna bring this up, but it, it's come to my attention and I'm urged and supported by others in the program to do this. 
um, I've been, uh, it's a, uh, the topic, the topic has to do with allegations of sexual harassment and even stalking of uh, women members by men. Uh, having said that, I have had three different women come to me privately to complain about this and uh, ask me what they could do or should do, saying that they feel unsafe coming to meetings when this is going on, being contacted on the chat during the meeting by men, uh, unwelcome remarks, and even after the meetings. And uh, it's very disconcerting. It also comes up around the issue of safety and privacy with regards to putting their names and contact information on the contact lists for these meetings. I also know three other women, uh, this is a little bit of hearsay, but I have verified it, that um, have left the program as a result of this. So um, I'm raising it because I don't know if there is a solution, but I think it's an issue that we might wanna look at and address. Uh, when I was doing 12-step work, uh, we did address it there. It's uh, notoriously known as 13-stepping. And uh, there were means that were done within the 12-step programs that I was involved with. I don't think this is exactly the same thing we just talked about, about fear of being triggered, though everyone has their own personal responsibility for what to do with their being triggered. I think this might be more like an issue of group safety and um, something that we could address. I'm also aware that there are eight women here at this program, at this meeting today. I feel a little uncomfortable about being the one who raised this, but three women did come to me with this issue asking me what I thought they should do. So I'm raising it now in this public forum and then inviting feedback. This is something that we have been discussing on the board on what does a nonprofit organization for this kind of peer-led community support, um, what role do we have in this? What, what can we do? How can we help? How can we be supportive? Um, almost everybody on the board has very long-term recovery and experience in peer-led self-help groups, recovery groups. And this is a, a common and um, unavoidable uh, issue. There's never been a recovery program that hasn't run into this. And um, so some of the, so anyways, I'm, we're in the process of working on a, a statement. You know, the kind of the, the initial uh, response is if, if somebody is being stalked, they should call the police immediately. Right, like if, if there's actually this, you know, if this, not if, when this is happening, um, you know, of course, the, we're a nonprofit organ, we can't do anything about it, um, but the police can. And so if somebody's being um, harassed, they should um, go through the proper legal channels to address that. Um, It's one of the reasons why we have um, not not necessarily reasons, but one of the resources, uh, as as Richard is saying, and, and this this also happens to men from women. This isn't only 
um, uh, women being harassed by men. Um, but there are women's meetings, you know, and I, I heard that of like people, women leaving the program because at mixed meetings being uh, hit on or, um, you know, the 13th step comment is, you know, kind of being hit on, but it sounds like even more than that, being harassed, being stalked, being uh, unwanted attention. So each person has to kind of find their own appropriate boundaries. And, and of course, for women in particular, but maybe for everyone, putting your name on a, in a chat at a meeting, putting your name on a, a list of, um, uh, you know, recovering addicts is risky. You know, you are opening, you know, on one level it's service and it's like, yeah, I want to connect with this community. But for sure in this community, there are unskillful people that will try to take advantage of you. Um, and that's the unfortunate reality in refuge and in every single recovery program that there has ever been or ever will be. Um, and my own hope is that there's more benefit than there is um, risk to trying to connect with each other and trying to, to find the trustworthy people in the community and with the awareness that there are absolutely going to be untrustworthy people in the community and unskillful people and people acting out on sex addictions or misogyny or whatever it is, um, that's going to happen too. So we will at some point have a kind of statement. Um, You know, Refuge is doing this really radical thing where we're saying everyone's welcome and all forms of addiction. And, um, you know, including sex addiction, including love addiction, including um, which is going to lend itself to people with these very dysfunctional, harmful behaviors coming here for help and then relapsing into the behavior that is that you're talking about stalking harassing uh, not having enough attunement to be like oh this is not welcomed attention um, and i'm not sure what we can i'm not sure what or if we can do much about it but as i started with you know call the police if somebody's stalking you and go to a different meeting and um, go to the women's meeting. And, you know, um, not that that's gonna be the perfect solution, but some initial solutions. So maybe I'll leave it there. Uh, Vanessa, then Tim. Uh, this is an anonymous question. Um, is there a limit on parking lot time after meetings? 
would, and then the, the second part, would a 10-minute sound bath with crystal bowls be acceptable during parking lot time? Um, the, for the first part, group conscience. For how long, if you want to put a limit, you know, like your meeting can decide that we have 15 minutes or we have a 10-minute or whatever we have. That's up to you guys. Um, and the second part, um, although the meeting is over, this are people who've come into this Zoom room, this parking lot for a refuge recovery meeting and um, doing anything outside of just talking to each other, actually doing a sound bath would be against the essential elements and guiding principles of our program. And that kind of thing should not happen. So that's, that actually has me a little confused because I thought the essential elements and guiding principles only, like when they're, the way they're written, I thought it pertained to the actual structured meeting because there's a lot of non-refuge stuff that people are talking about on Zoom after the meeting. It's like free time. So, you know, so how, yeah, how... Are the guiding principles and essential elements uh, carried into parking lot time? Um, not, not necessarily. Of course, you know, the meeting is over, but everyone there has come to refuge recovery for refuge recovery. And of course, then they're going to socialize and the social conversation is going to take it in other directions. But then for that refuge recovery Zoom room to then switch to something that has nothing to do, a spiritual practice that has nothing to do with refuge recovery or a relaxation technique um, would be totally inappropriate. Something that should not happen. Yeah, and, and really also because um, the Donna that people pay for refuge recovery is supporting the Zoom platform. And so to take that and do another spiritual practice would be like misappropriation of funds, I think. Yeah, I'm not so concerned with the- No, money. but I mean, ethically, ethically, if-, ethically. if It just, it, yeah, just not something that should, if people want to do that and meet people, you know, if people meet people in, in refuge and you're somebody that does sound baths or Reiki or whatever you do, and you want to invite your friends to do that, but not, at, not at a meeting and not, you know, not, not part of, it's not part of this. It's not what we're doing here. Even though a lot of those things are super cool. Not what we're doing here. Tim, well, uh, yeah. Hi, Noah, it is now an appropriate time to, for me to spend a few minutes sharing my experience of being stalked in 12-step um, rooms, even my yoga community, just to give my experience of um, what I had to deal with, um, what was possible as far as groups could do at all. Um, would that be helpful at all if I shared for a few minutes on that? Sure, go for it. Sure, so, you know, as Noah mentioned, it, you know, it doesn't only happen to women. Uh, men can be stalked too. I was stalked for a year and a half until I had a uh, more longer lasting order of protection given to me just this past May. Um, I mean, it just, it has gotten, it, it is so, such a almost unsolvable problem that um, my, and, and for other reasons too, my plan is to completely transition to refuge without telling anybody. 
or very few people who, because when the order's protection expires, she's going to show up again. And the groups I'm involved with are not going to give a ban preemptively, right? Especially as she's a person in recovery too. Um, you know, it had gotten so bad. She was going to the same meetings as me. Um, people were very dismissive of me. I don't know if that's, you know, because I'm male and it's like, man up, it's just a woman. You let her, you know, people were telling me just ignore her. And she was just play traces where I was a trusted servant. She was getting elected to, and then she was using that as a pretext to hang around outside my building, asking questions, right? And, you know, I'm dealing with this while the NYPD is uh, dealing with all sorts of protests around the city. And, and so, so very, you know, the domestic violence officer was assigned to street duty. For, you know, so it was a lot of aggravation, a lot of money, you know, legal fees. Um, all... All I can say is if someone is being stalked to um, don't be dismissive, right? And uh, please, and I, I don't think necessarily that my home group, my, my AA home group can give a preemptive ban. Um, it, it's just, you know, nothing wrong is happening now, right? Um, if she shows up the meeting, she's just showing up. Stalking is very hard to prove if they're stalking you, coming to the same meetings as you, right? Um, now, it is, as far as 13-stepping, um, I just hope, uh, I don't know the answer, but AA's response was very disappointing in light of, um, you know, really um, heinous things that have happened. That said, I think AA is more at risk because AA is more at risk of fundamentalism, controlling behavior, abuses, stuff like that, which when I read the Refuge book, Noah, I don't get that impression at all. You're very forthcoming about, you know, um, even the thing like some people, you know, a few people can go back to moderation, right? And I'm just like, this is a breath of fresh air. That's not me. An extremist fundamentalist view would never have that. So, so it's just if, if we can, you know, um, we have to remain vigilant against abuse, right? And yeah. I think, you know, fundamentalism is, in my opinion, is what leads to abuse. And and you can have all sorts of stuff. I mean, this may be it, it's somewhat all related, but and, and as far as the thirteenth stepping, it's not making other people your higher power to, to some extent. And then, you know, the, yeah, you put your, you, you, you put your number out there there, 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 there is that risk, sure. But something about it being online, it, it's almost like it's riskier because at my AA home group, you know, the, the, the young, attractive girl is like the, the GSR and, um, and the sponsorship chairwoman. And her number is up on the board. She's not getting harassed. Right. It's a co-ed meeting. Right. <laughs> this meeting, you know, um, I think we have like maybe 30, 40 meetings a week. So something about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost. I don't know if, if, if women in the co-ed meetings want to direct message each other or or only, you know, put up the numbers publicly in women's meeting. Like you said, I'm, I'm not sure. But, but those, those are my thoughts. I don't want to take up a lot of time. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Pre appreciate your experience. Um...
And I think it's it is important to hear a male's experience with this because it is often considered something that only happens to women. And I was aware of your situation and and actually many other men's situation. Um, and that this isn't just a gender thing, although it does seem to happen more often from men to women. Women do seem to be targeted more often than men, but it does happen to both genders. Oh, also, I wanted to say one other thing. It's not only sex addiction, love addiction. A lot of the trauma that can lead to stalking it is often just trauma that leads to alcoholism, drug addiction, right? So, so there's a there's a common and you know common cause there, right? So, so, um, but um, it but you you, you get you know it gets, it's it's like this severe abandonment issue, right? So. Yeah. Summer, I saw your message and I'm sure that that's correct. And I, uh, that statistically women are targeted much more often. I'm, I'm... Oh yeah, that, that is a fact. I don't, I don't mean to deny that. I'm just okay. saying just, just because that is the fact that um, my experience with people were very dismissive because, I mean, possibly because I was male. Yeah. Harder to get help. Yeah. Um, Vanessa, one more. Um, this is leftover. For, oh, Cato has one. I'm going to let, let mine go. I can get it next month. Go for it, Cato. Hey, thanks, Vanessa. Hey, Noah. I'm Cato in Oklahoma City. Um, I heard this question on one of the podcasts, but it's about bringing a meeting into, into a, a residential treatment to a treatment center. I was in treatment last December and January and uh, got out and I'm still, you know, trudging along but um in the, in the treatment center i was talking about buddhism a little bit and someone just in passing mentioned refuge at the first time i'd ever heard of it in my life and then got out and uh and looked it up and then and and found you found this place but uh i had an out i talked to the treatment center they asked me about coming back and and bringing in a meeting and uh i'm just here's my question what's like the protocol how do I didn't want to tell them I'd bring in a refuge meeting until I talked to you or talked to Vanessa and got permission to do it. And then if that's a, if that's okay to do. So bringing meetings into treatment centers. I mean, of course, it's a great thing to do. And it's um, the intention from the beginning of making this thing accessible to people, whether they're on the streets and can come to meetings or have access to zoom or, um, or are institutionalized, whether that's in treatment or jail or psych wards or whatever. And we've had sort of fits and starts over the last seven years of like trying to organize, organize the sort of outreach, the institutional outreach. And, and we're not there yet. We're still not there of actually having, you know, what would be hospitals and institutions in the 12-step world and having our own version of that, where it's actually an organized thing where here's how to do it. So we're not there. In the meantime, sounds great. Go bring in a meeting um, and you know share and do it out of the book and do it according to the essential elements and have the people in the group you know read the meditations and don't do everything yourself. Go and secretary a meeting, you know, in the treatment center with them participating. 
Now, what you're going to run into is that there is a rotating leadership that is necessary. So after you've done it for a six months and maybe are you know reelected for another six months or whatever, um, at some point, you know, it's not kind of cool to do it forever. So at some point you need to turn it over to someone else. You got to recruit people from your community to come, and then you got to be able to turn it over so that it doesn't become Cato's treatment center meeting for the next 13 years, right? Which probably you don't want to do anyways, but even if you did want to do it, we got to turn these things over, rotating leadership, get someone else to take it over after a few months. You start a new one in a new center or on a different night so that we stick with our rotating leadership, even when we're doing the outreach, outreach into institutions. It's such a core important part of our program. No, right on for sure. Thanks. And I wouldn't even go to my own treatment center, but that's what I was thinking of doing was like uh, making uh, like little printouts of each thing and handing them out and actually like doing it like I learned to do the meetings, just like it's outlined. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. You'll be planting seeds. You'll be introducing people. The one thing about treatment, you know, hopefully they'll have you do it in the evening. Um, uh, some treat, some not so uh, ethical treatment centers will have someone like you come in to do a meeting and then they'll charge for it as though it's part of their treatment, as though it's, you know, and then they'll start advertising. Yeah, we offer refuge recovery treatment. We got this guy that comes and does a meeting once a week. So we don't want that happening. We don't want them pretending like they're offering refuge as treatment. We don't want them charging their clients for it. But most treatment centers send people to recovery meetings, 12-step or refuge in the after hours, after they've done their seven hours of inpatient treatment, then they go to a meeting in the evening. And if you're doing a refuge as, a, as their evening meeting for them in the detox, in the treatment center, that's great. If you can bring it to them, it's even better if the treatment center will then open to the general public and you can put it on the uh, schedule that there's a weekly meeting at this treatment center so that those of us from the outside can come in with you and, you know, show the people in treatment like, yeah, this is what we're doing for our recovery. Yeah, um, that's exactly what it is. At the nighttime meeting, uh, you know, they bring in AA and other ones, of course, but I wanted to bring in refuge and I'm just going to try one, man. I'll try one and I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Totally cool. All right, Vanessa, last one. Uh, just, just to add on to that. So um, in the event that someone brings a meeting into an H&I meeting um, and they, they wanted, they've done their two-term two, two limit, yeah, two-term limit, and there's no one else who wants to take it over, I believe we have in our literature that it says term limits can be waived if there's no other people to take it over. So... Um, in that event, if there was no one else that could take it over, would that person continue to run that meeting until they wanted to close it or could find someone to take it over? Yes, I, I, yeah, yes. And just a big encouragement for, you know, we run into this sometimes of like, oh, I couldn't find any, I really love being the secretary and nobody has tried to rip it from my hands. So I can't find anybody to do it. So I'm gonna keep doing it. Right. So the, it depends. Right. There's that situation where there's the people who really want to hold on to it. They love the status. They love it. And they, they're not trying to really find somebody. And then there's the other situation where it's like, I'm really trying to find somebody. I'm really ready to let this thing go. 
but I'm not gonna let the meeting die because I can't find anybody to take it over yet. So I'm gonna keep going until I find somebody I'm actually trying to find somebody. But the answer is yes, it would be okay to continue it. So maybe we'll leave it there for tonight. Hope this was useful, you know, some hard ones around the COVID stuff and the, um, you know, vaccination stuff, policies and, and this reality of inappropriate, you know, behavior around stalking or harassing. Um, and um, I don't know that I have the, all, I, I know I don't have all of the answers and I don't know that I have the best answers. Um, but trying really hard over here to figure this thing out with everybody and in the best way. And I feel very open to, to your support and participation and, um, you know, and sharing your experience with this thing. Um, and I always just come back to my own vision, which is like, what's going to be inclusive? What's going to create unity? What's going to create a, um, hopefully safe and secure community, hopefully a refuge with the understanding that like, uh, we're not gonna be perfect and we're gonna have a bunch of dysfunctional behavior in the Sangha. And, um, and let's not be too quick to keep kick people out of the Sangha. Um, Noah, before we, we leave, I would just like to also say if um, people can't make it to this this uh, meeting um, and or if uh, they want their question asked anonymously, they can send it to questions at refugerecovery.org and we will try and get to that. Thank you. Uh, may any goodness that comes from our practice, our discussion, our positive intentions to create a... Uh, wise and accessible refuge recovery program. May we share this merit outward in all directions. May each one of us stay free and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for showing up and hanging out and listening and see you next time. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.